This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everybody, this is Joshua Lewis with The Remnant Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For those of you who are new to the program, Remnant Radio exists for three purposes. We want to challenge orthodoxy, embrace diversity, and empower people for practical ministry. So uh, we want to challenge orthodoxy, meaning anything that's commonly taught in the church. We want to uh, reopen it. We want to rediscover this thing. We want to study, make sure that it's got biblical roots and not uh, the premise of theological tradition. Uh, Secondly, we want to embrace diversity. We have different pastors and teachers from different churches and different denominations come on to help us question uh, that belief system because it's hard to uh, challenge orthodoxy and a thought bubble. So finally, yeah. we want to empower you for practical ministry because to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent is eternal life. Uh, with me on my right, True that. your left, Jeff yes. Gray. Jeff, What's how's that, your week been, man? Doing well. It's our yeah. second show for the day. Yeah. Or your third, actually. It's my right? third, yeah, so. yeah. Well, I Good took stuff. a break during the second show, so but I'm back, and so camera over here. Uh, I'll be monitoring all the questions. So if you guys have anything you want to ask, anything you want to share, please, please, please like the the video, like the page. Uh, tell us where you're watching from. Uh, just throw anything at us that you think might actually contribute to the show, and we'll get them out there. If the questions are legit, if they're good, we will ask them on air, mm-hmm. and hopefully you will get a good answer. And if they're not good, we will ignore them. Yeah, um, We'll read them and then... And then or address them, them out, whenever we, we stop going live. Um <laughs> And, and those of you guys who are watching, you're saying, man, this is a really cool video, but I don't have much time to watch. Please go check us out on our website, theremnantradio.com. You can watch this video on YouTube. You can watch it on Spotify, uh, Google Play, Arabic Broadcasting Arab- Network, Arab- all that good stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, we're on TV and everything. So it's great. we got so many we can't remember what they can't are. Can't even remember. We're <laughs> growing every day. And then on my left, your right, we've got Michael Miller that I just totally hit with my arm. So do you go <laughs> buy hats or do you go buy Michael Miller? Uh, depends who's talking depends to me. Depends on who's talking. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's two Michael Millers at the upper room. Okay. Um, and the way they differentiated between the two of us really quickly was they called him Freeland, which mm-hmm. is his middle name, and they called me Hats. For and obvious reasons. Yeah, for yeah. You were watching the video. Well, I used to work as a mathematics teacher, actually, just down the street from here at Wataka Middle School. So, uh, well, Elijah's going there next year. So, mm-hmm. if he would not have left, Elijah would be mm-hmm. in his class. Mm-hmm. Super I'm cool with it, though. Yeah, cool so I wouldn't allow to wear bigger. a hat during the week. So, most of the time when these guys would see me, it was on weekends, and I didn't feel like doing anything with my hair. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I like hats. I got it. That's it's cool, like, man. It's like the number one gift people give me most often is they give me a new hat. Well, when they the call you hats. It's like the dad with a tie. It's just it kind of gravitates. Yeah, right? yeah. I think for me, it's a it's a good excuse to wear a hat when I preach on Sundays too. Because no the pastor's name is Hats, it's like you have to. Yep. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself, a little about the ministry. Um, we love Upper Room, love the ministry, love what you guys are doing over there. Tell us a little about about that for those of you who are not familiar with you guys. Yeah. Um, so I guess back in 2010, we started meeting for a pastor. Well, actually, we started meeting the other Michael Miller's apartment, um, and it was just sort of a one big experiment. We were, we were. I think for me, I knew we were going to be establishing a church, but I think for the other guys, they didn't want to call it a church because they just didn't want it to look like what they'd always known. Yeah. Um, but I have always loved the church, so if it became a church, it was no problem for me. I, I loved uh, the church I was in previously, and, and the thought of starting up something that had our flair and culture behind it was exciting. Um, so we wanted the question we were asking though is what does it look like to to make a church uh, or to to st- start a community that's sole for sole uh, purpose or focus is uh, what what makes this place attractive to God what makes Him want to show up mm-hmm. and so that's that sort of became what the upper room yeah. is mm-hmm. it's a it's a church that that prays quite a bit and is very very big into worship and giving God thanks and. Um, you know, my, part of my excitement and, and the thing I've enjoyed doing there the most is talking about the gifts of the Spirit and training people in the gifts. And Amen. 
Right on, man. So we and and secretly, what you wanted to come out today and talk about is how you're a a flaming Calvinist. That's yeah. what. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> um, so so <laughs> we just lost six flaming years. Cal- yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, when you awkward for me. You know, I'm a I'm a flaming Pentecostal. <laughs> so there you go. Um, just very passionate about my Pentecostalism. There you go. Passionate so, Calvinist. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So so we we picked uh, picked this topic in, I think it was April. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was a couple months ago. Um, we I went had just kicked off our church in Frisco. That's so right. It was like three I weeks in. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. My, my friend Miles and Emily, they go up there to Frisco. Their parents live in Frisco. Mm-hmm. So we were just kind of traveling up with them, uh, hanging out. I'd never been to the Frisco campus. You said it had just started? or April 1st was when we launched oh, it. Oh, so I was like two or three no weeks fooling. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. So first time. Okay, so anyway, um, check that out. Really powerful. Really good. Um, so, so why did you pick Calvinism and Armenianism? Why this topic? Uh, I th- did I pick this? I don't mm-hmm. even remember. No, <laughs> in a while. Like, That's a bummer. Yeah, hey, uh, we did just plant the church. Did I mention that? Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. moved. <laughs> My wife was pregnant. So you, you decided uh, to son. pick a light. Topic. It's, like, it's a theological show. Uh, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the common. Easy well, you also one. probably caught me like right after oh, I preached on a Sunday service, where like typically I want to go and hide because I've just yeah. been vulnerable from a stage and. Um, so I, I actually don't even know why I picked this. I do happen to like the conversation a lot. Sure, I mean, that's I've, good. I, I, I you were kind of sharing earlier about how you love the gifts of the Spirit. We love talking about that and, yeah. and, and expounding on those. And that you, in the middle of studying these things, you kind of started seeing some contrasts when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. And when, when did you and go to that conference? kind of motivated you to study it harder. Which conference? Yeah. The conference with uh, uh, Chandler and those guys. You so were talking about the So Gibson. that happened, I think, that conference was the end of October. My, my um, soteriology debate, you know, the, mm-hmm. the whole Calvinism versus Arminianism stuff, that, that really hit a forefront for me personally because of praying for the sick and relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so I, I started asking a lot of questions like, is there only one person for me? Okay, well, what about God telling me that this is the person and then it not working out? Uh, you know, I, just trying to make sense of all these things. Like, was he just teaching me some sort of lesson? Or is this just people's choices? Right, and, like taking God can, up on a hill and yeah. sacrifice. Just <laughs> yeah, kidding, <you> know? yeah <laughs> no, I, and, and, and my heart was the big sacrifice. Yeah, right, so yeah. um, uh, that's that was sort of that. The, the conference that took place back in October was really cool. It was a, a reformed... Uh, Continuationist. Chari- well, they call it a reformed charismatic. Okay. Which I, I, I the terms to me is like very pigeonholing. I like I the yeah, more you I don't really care for them. Put a label on yourself. Yeah. The the quicker people can pigeonhole you into a certain category. But anyway, it was a phenomenal conference. Um, uh, the, the speakers were Jack Deer, Matt Chandler, Francis Chan, um, Andrew Wilson, and Sam Storms, hmm. and then myself and three others were were there with Jack Deer to demonstrate the gifts. So that was really fun to be a part yeah. of. Yeah. You know that that camp. Um, but then to also see them, I mean, there's a lot of skeptical people in the audience, but they, they were wanting the gifts to be real. And, and mm. so they weren't coming there just to li- list off an argument for all the reasons why we were wrong for wanting to pursue these things. If anything, they were like, okay, how does this stuff really happen? They, they knew open. they knew that that's what the conference is going to be about. It wasn't yeah. really about disproving continuationists. It was about... No, I, and I, I think a lot of them came in there. They, they call themselves uh, charismatics with the seatbelt on. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would say, you know, Depending on who was speaking at that conference, it was either, you know, some of them were trying to press the gas gas pedal and some of them were, were sort of pumping the brakes. Like <laughs> That's odd because <laughs> so I, you can see. I talk about the prophetic airbag, but the maybe, prophetic airbag. Yeah, because yeah. I always I always give a, an airbag before I give a word. And I'm like, OK, so uh, just so you know, uh, this is the way prophecy works. Um, God will confirm this. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. Is, you know, like, kind of thing. like I call it a prophetic, air, a yeah. prophetic airbag because I, I, I'm just like, look. This is, don't go move to Uganda right now. I'm just saying, this is what I'm seeing, okay? I yeah. don't want you to shipwreck your faith here. I have a lot of those little caveats that there I would call them uh, pastoral words to protect your your, your community. Um, I would say, uh, and this is stuff I just stole directly from Jack Deere, Amen. stuff like uh, you should uh, never make a decision based solely off a prophetic word. Mm-hmm. It should do one of two things, either uh, confirm a leading you already have in your heart or cause you to pray about something yeah. you haven't previously considered. Yeah. Yeah. I've said that so often now that it just is like comes out. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, pretty it's fluid. A, it's yeah, become part of you. Yes, yes. 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 Yeah. And I didn't create that. I, I stole that directly from my mentor. So When you get discipled, well, you sometimes can't figure out where they end and you begin. So yeah. that's that's good. Yeah. Um, tell me tell me a little bit about – so we, I'm, I'm going to frame the theological argument of Calvinism and Arminianism for those who are watching. Okay, So Calvinism um, is a 
Well, let me back up just a little bit further. I'll be brief. Um, it starts with Pelagius, yeah, right. and it starts with uh, Augustine, <laughs> right? So Pelagius comes out with this idea that uh, man is inherently good from birth. There's something in him that's good and that he has got this God-shaped hole in his heart. He's trying to pursue God because he knows this vacuum is inside of him, right? Um, uh, Augustine comes alongside. He writes a whole bunch of pastors, gets some sources, and goes, nah, fam. And uh, then... then and uh, quote. They basically shut down Pelagius. Pelagius's theological framework of man is inherently good uh, gets rejected, uh, and that the accepting of uh, the, the acceptance of we are fallen, depraved man from birth, we're bent against God, we hate God, love our sin. Uh, that that kind of depravity has infected man thoroughly. Then we fast forward through uh, to the Reformation in the 1400s. Uh, John, uh, Martin Luther, who everyone's really familiar with, Martin Luther is the guy who nails uh, uh, the nail in the, the thesis. The thesis. 49? Yeah. 49 Thesis? Someone is going to fact 99. check me here. I don't know. I don't even, I don't remember I the numbers. Jay-Z, never mind, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so Jay-Z nails <laughs> no, this the, thesis on the... You don't know what I'm saying. So, um... <laughs> 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 Pop culture references, I don't catch yeah. them. Uh, so, so the, uh, he, he, the, he is calling to reform the Catholic Church. Now, what, what Martin Luther wanted to do and what John Calvin wants to do are two different things. Martin Luther wants to say, Catholic Church, get better, get fixed. John Calvin says, nope, this is way too screwed up. We're starting our own thing. And John Calvin really is, in my opinion, the forerunner for the Reformation. He wants to create something new. He wants to start something new. The Protestant Reformation, the word Protestant just means protest. So he's like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing something new. So John Calvin and his buddies come up with, um, when I say John Calvin, predominantly John Calvin, comes up with what we call Calvin's Institutes. Okay, it's a uh, theological dictionary um i've read it um it but it is like reading a dictionary it it, it is rich it is uh profound uh, but it is a dictionary so just <laughs> it's, don't look for a page turner okay so uh uh great great institutes theological framework john jacob arminius um uh, so if you if you guys see this shirt um this guy john calvin this guy jacob arminius um jacob uh writes five um, points that he disagrees with John Calvin. We'll call it the blog post of the 14th century. He says, I disagree with these five issues of his view of um, total depravity, yes. his view of limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, and um, t- you, unconditional election. I'm sorry, I missed that. I didn't get him in order. Anyway, so he says, these are the issues that I disagree with. And then after he responds, the students of John Calvin, because John Calvin's dead, the students of John Calvin say, uh, no, you're wrong with your five points. Here are our five points. So from the get, I want to make the argument that uh, there's going to be flaws in both of these camps because they are responses to theological frameworks opposed to exegetical presentations of Scripture. Now, both the Calvinist and the Armenian would say, Josh, that's not fair. Both of us make our argument in Scripture. Yeah, but your response is to a framework of theology opposed to exegeting, I think, from Scripture yeah. um, historically. Uh that kind of frames our conversation. So uh, for those of you who are watching who have questions on this topic, this is the time that you ask those questions. Uh, Michael, what are, what are your thoughts as I talk about Calvinism and Arminianism? Uh, what are some of the issues uh, with these two camps? Why can't they get along? Uh, I, why can't they get along? Um, probably for a number of reasons. I'm trying to narrow that down. So um, I, I'm to me, I wonder if... The, I don't know uh, what the major issue is because, uh, you know, like my mentor was a compatibilist. He would say that, that uh, election and, and predestination is true, but then so is free will. Mm-hmm. And he would say it's a mystery where those two things work together. Um, the reason why most people would say those things can't, get to, can't work together is because uh, they literally both of them being true would be a paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, that they just literally don't fit together. Like you couldn't put those two pieces of a puzzle and make them work. But, yeah. Um, well, the Trinity is one too, but we received that <laughs> pretty faith. easily yeah. by faith. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but for some reason, this one we can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's that's exactly the argument my mentor would make. Yeah. Um, I think for for anybody in one of those two different camps, though, they would be like saying, uh, you know, 
I'm trying to think of another way to phrase this. Well, one I of can't the, think of a good metaphor to. No, you're to good. One there the, aren't any. That's why. One <laughs> of the difficulties with the Trinitarianism is that God is God. He has this fourth dimension, this thing that's uncomprehensible, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for something that's one dimensional, try to comprehend something that's two dimensional is impossible. And the same thing would apply here when we're talking about God. But but soteriology has to do with finite man and just God saving finite man. And I think that's why both the Armenian and the Calvinist would say this argument doesn't really apply because we're dealing with the soul of a man, the spirit of a man, the, the carnality of a man. And to say, well, we can't we can never know is kind of lazy theology. Right. I think in God's both hands, we said earlier, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah both camps God's would definitely say lazy. God's ways are not our ways, you know, and just kind of chalk it up to, this is a mystery. They yeah. wouldn't like that. Well, I mean, initially we were talking earlier before the show that the, the there seems to be a heart issue almost in the beginning with pre- presenting these arguments is that they seem to be caught up in a debate from the very beginning instead of, like you said, exeget- uh, exegetically getting you know the truth from mm-hmm. from god's word they're listening to an argument and they've they've they painted themselves into a corner and they're and they're refusing to to do anything but defend that position instead of being open and i think that's a lot of what we see he, even he, now to the this yeah. day is there's no budging because we've we've just we you know it's you know Knicks versus bulls still it's like we're not budging man <laughs> this when, is my team this is my squad the nail know? on the head here is, yeah. is that it's a heart issue the heart issue and i think uh, when I when I think of my own life and why I started challenging um, what I would call a, a a meticulous sovereign view of God that He's meticulously controlling every decision that's made everything that happens um, I started challenging that idea largely because uh, of the heartache I would experience it was a mm-hmm. firsthand experience of heartache that caused me to question these things so really what was at stake for me was the goodness of God. Hmm. His character, can I really trust him? Yeah. So on the Arminian side, that's the question they're asking. But on the Calvinist side, the question they're asking is, uh, if, you, if, you, if, if you're not in touch with how deeply flawed you are as a man, then you'll never really be able to s- receive fully the, re- the grace of God and what he's, the sacrifice he's paid for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't realize how bad off you were. So on both sides, they feel like they're getting robbed somehow. The, wow. the, the Arminian is going to feel like the, the Calvinist is robbing God of his goodness. The uh, Calvinist is going to feel like the Arminian is uh, robbing man of the appreciation of God's yeah. grace. And that feel like they, they, all, they feel like they're, you're robbing God of his sovereignty at times, too. Yes, yeah. yes. So, and I think that it, it is one of those, those things is it, it's, we have to be balanced in how we approach um, how we see ourselves as people. And then obviously, like Tozer says, how you view God— it's going to outweigh every other question that you're ever going to deal with. Um, but we, they seem to be heavy. Like, you know, the, the Calvinist is really, the Reformed is really about, you know, high, they, you know, a high view of God, a high view of God, a high view of God. And, you know, Arminius is kind of like over here like, yeah, but what about, what about us? Like, we still got to deal with who we are as people. Yeah. And so there's that wrestling of. You know, well, the, the, the worth a, of God and the, the worth, worth of, of God man. And the worth of man. There you go. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. That's yeah, great. That's, that's, a, that's a big one, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, gosh. So, so you've got uh, at the very core of this the reason why it's such a controversial thing is because of how connected it is to people's emotions. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and there's no escaping that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and that's the reason that the even the questions came up in my mind is because I was dealing with an issue of can I really trust God? Yeah, uh, I would look at the history that I had in my life and go, did did, did God ordain? Uh, my my father was absent, so from okay. age. Uh, one parents divorce, age four. Um, dad married another woman who had six kids, did pay child support, and then had two more kids. And so, I mean, you know, I, I know today I can reinterpret that. But as a young kid, I'm thinking God abandoned yeah. me, How do you deal and, with that? and so did my father. Yeah. So, uh, you know, God's goodness was always being questioned from day one, which I think is is the the role of the enemy to keep yeah. us as far away from him as possible. And so, uh, I think for for some people, they look at these doctrines and, and they'll they'll say that exact thing like this is a doctrine of of the enemy mm-hmm. to keep people away from god yeah uh, but both sides will claim that yeah well i think that you know when it comes to the 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 clash or whatnot um there are many that i we agree on you know i, I believe total depravity i think that most 
most believers believe in that. Most charismatics would believe in that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you guys? Well, so it's probably it's, how you define it. It's is the way yeah, that you define okay. it. Yeah. So, well, she, so this do that. There, there are two different. The the historical presentation from a Calvinist of total depravity means that God must regenerate your heart before you believe. Okay. And that's what we would disagree with. You're, yes, you're, you're incapable of actually believing in God without God first regenerating so f- you. Faith is impossible until God regenerates your heart. Right. So yes. okay. the argument would be, uh, how can you believe the gospel if you're dead? Right? So the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're completely dead. We're not able to choose. We hate God. We love our sin. That's, that's the way we are from birth, our right. disposition. Okay. And because God shows up, we still hate him. We can't we can't do anything to like mm-hmm. him. So so our heart is bent towards God. Yes. So God must do a miracle. Okay. God must bring us back to life, just like Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. This is the argument the Calvinists will use all the time. Yes, and they will say, uh, Lazarus, come, come forth. forth. And it, Lazarus could not have come forth out of the exertion of his Unless. own will. It was only God's word that spoke okay. to him. You are going to do this. So when it comes to the a, a man being dead, a person being dead mm-hmm. in the spirit, in their spirit, um, they're obviously not physically dead right so there's aspects of their being that are still very much alive are there not things that god has built i mean i think about the conscience of a man i mean everybody has a conscience so there's something that's going on still conscience we still know good from evil you know romans one but we just flip it on its head and turn it around and call good evil evil good and all that stuff so we still have that that comprehension so is there not i mean yeah, you wonder how far you can take that metaphor. Yeah, exactly. That or seems spiritualizing. Like it seems like they're really running with that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and the other question is, is that the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, is that meant to teach you about I God saving you? I think Jesus can raise uh, the dead. I think that's the point of that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if anything, what the disciples were then going to go do, and then what yeah, mankind, you know, greater works you will do. Yeah, so like, come on. There, there's a, well, and, and just, you know who Jesus was—that he had power over the dead. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of other lessons there. So you got to, you got to ask that question: Is how far is that metaphor meant to go? Um, and on the other side of it, you've got a lot of scriptures that say otherwise. That that, you know, first you were presented to the gospel, and then you believed, and that resulted in you getting eternal yeah, life. Yeah, we talked about the Ephesians one verse earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would be worth quoting, by the way. Oh, but it, but yeah, it, I can pull it up. Go ahead. Yeah, so you've got a you've got a disagreement right at the very start of this whole yeah. conversation about. The How can they believe man. if they haven't had a preacher? Right. Uh, it, the, the preaching of the gospel, the declaration of the gospel, is one of the first moments by which. So, so those of you who are not following with us, just as we go down the train of thought, we'll probably touch the five points of Calvinism. Yeah, we started with total depravity already, right? So, man is completely, totally depraved. We would define that to say, yeah, yes, from know. birth you are a sinner. Now, where me and a Calvinist would disagree is on the topic of prevenial grace. And provenial grace ultimately means that there is a moment where God softens your heart and you can either reject him or accept him. Uh, it would be like a, a boat out to open sea. You're drowning, throws you a life raft. You grab the life raft and you're pulled on, bo- on board. No one has the audacity to say, thank God I saved myself by grabbing that life raft, right? <laughs> They'll say, thank you so much for saving me. Mm-hmm. But to say that there is not a synergistic approach between the man and the captain um, is is almost ideologically fallacy. It's, it's an ideolo- ideological fallacy to assume that you have no role to play and that God just rescues you, even if you're kicking and screaming and you don't want him. Right. Like it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense from my perspective. Um, so, so on the, the topic of total depravity, we would agree that from birth, we are bent against God, but that when the gospel is being preached to us, it produces or it, it, it provides this level of grace that we can choose to either soften our heart or uh, uh, harden our heart. Right. Yeah. Um, I'll read this verse here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. We're talking about um, can we can we believe, can we put our faith in Christ and in, in the gospel before we're regenerated? Um, a Calvinist would say you have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit to, in order to believe. Ephesians 1, 13 says, In him you also trusted, or believe we could say, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, and it keeps going. And so there, right now, you can see that the gospel is being preached. They hear it. They put their trust. They believe. And then at that point, that's when the sealing or the, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit occurs. And so there's something that's going on. And, you know, you, Josh, you feel free to correct me because there's some times that we get in these conversations. And I go, oh, man, this is the things that I've seen and I've read. I've always kind of looked at, you know— um, 
you know, we, we were really big into Ray Comfort back in the day. You oh, know? Yeah. And so, and I love that guy. Uh, Kurt Cameron and Kurt Ray Cameron, Comfort doing I love those thing. guys, Way of the Master. Oh, yeah. And, um, but there's definitely, definitely a spiritual aspect to that where I believe that that is what God uses to give you that, what, what did you call it, the grace? That's pervenial, pervenial grace. grace yeah. Where he takes you to that point. And I remember in my own testimony, I know that experience is not always the best standard, but I think it lines up with the scripture. Um, you know, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the and wisdom is to know God. And so, you know, realizing my sin, getting crushed by the weight of, wow, I am really wicked. And then all of it, that is the only time when the cross made sense finally to me, mm-hmm. you know, when I was like a kind of a decent guy and I was, you know, I wasn't Adolf Hitler, but I wasn't mother from? Teresa. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus died for my sin and was like, okay, cool. He, he died for the bad things I've done. Um, I have lots of good still, but the bad things, Jesus has that covered. When I saw how worthy of wrath I was, it crushed me, and that's when, whoa, Jesus died for my sin. It magnified the mercy of God so great <laughs> that, so I look back and I say, man, it was the fear of the Lord that, that drove me into like, oh man, I'm under this, I'm under, I'm under the law. Yeah. I'm under guilt right now. I'm so under shame. And so, I'll, I'll throw something sense? else your yeah. way, just because I, I find this to be interesting. The, the whole debate about the Armenian and Calvinist debate, sorry, is um, very myopic to me. Okay. Like, for instance, when you see the word salvation in the scriptures, how often is it in reference to a person being saved from their sins versus a person being saved from demonic powers? Yes. Majority of time, the word salvation is used. It's actually in reference to people being delivered from yeah. demons. We, we talked about this earlier. There's, it's demons, and it's it's a sanctification sanctification process. It's not even about justification in the beginning. It's about yeah the process of my, my God point working on is, is yeah. it, The reason why I say this is myopic is because you're using these verses or, or these particular words to reference this one little thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in reality, when you look at what, everything Jesus came to do, it was so much bigger than just a problem with our sin. It was also, we had been captured. We were uh, slaves. Yeah. Uh, we needed to be delivered from the powers of darkness. So uh, th- that's why I say it's myopic in the sense that, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. So for me, as a 15-year-old, that was the first time I ever heard about Jesus. I didn't even understand what the cross really meant for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, largely what happened was I remember them giving an offer for salvation. And I thought to myself, I'm 15 years old. uh I can tell you at this point in my life, I was already depressed. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that I needed to be saved. I didn't know that I needed to be saved from my own wrongdoing. Right. But I knew I needed to be saved from the world around me and whatever choices I was making in my life. And it wasn't necessarily that I was making sinful choices. I just knew my life wasn't going anywhere positive. Right. Um, I could tell you that at the age of 15. So I made a yes to that altar call, having no idea what I was really committing myself to. I just knew I needed freedom. And so when I think about salvation, I, I, I think, again, uh, we're, we're, we're making the topic of salvation or soteriology just a very small thing when it's a much bigger picture. We're, we're being delivered both from ourselves and from the powers of darkness that we're enslaved to and the oppression of those powers of darkness, you know, yeah, of that power of darkness. Those that, I don't know. Yes. Make it There's singular. one, but he has Words many, hard. Yeah. many <laughs> underneath him. Yeah, so, and, and, and I guess my, my question behind that um, there's so many different directions that I go. I could go with that. What I will, where I will go, is to say if if salvation or if if God's mission is to seek and save that which was lost, if if the whole purpose of creation is to prepare a bride for Christ's return, which is what I believe that it is for, um, it is to bring Him glory and honor, and that the the greatest way to bring Him glory and honor is by redeeming fallen humanity. So I use this illustration um, when I think it's Michelangelo who's doing the statue of David, right? Uh, it's the first piece of postmodern art because there's a big flaw in the marble. And when interviewed and requested, why did you do this with a screwed up piece of marble instead of using a you know a flawless piece of marble? His response was, I didn't want to show how great the marble was. I wanted to show how great the artist was. So part of God displaying his glory and his honor and his prestige in the earth is by saving screwed up people. Yeah. So so to say, you know, the purpose of the cross is to triumph over the in- enemy. Absolutely, I would agree with that. But once the eschaton has taken place, once mm-hmm. every the end times all done, Satan will be defeated. 
So that wasn't the purpose of the cross, right? Wouldn't the purpose of the cross be to prepare a bride, to sanctify people for himself, to purchase a bride? Like, I, I'm, I'm challenging the premise a little bit there to say, wouldn't, wouldn't the purpose of the cross be salvation? Wouldn't the purpose of creation be salvation? Mm-hmm. That we would be like him and know him? Yeah. Um, okay, so you're saying that the premise of all creation, like th- this is really... Well, you were, saying, you were saying it's a myopic approach to look at soteriology as something that, that we were saved, like that, that we were saved. There's so much yeah, more to it, it than that. It being just about our sin and mm-hmm. not just deliverance from pain and evil in the world. Sure, yeah. Um, and, I, and I would say that the, that the purpose of creation wasn't solely so that man could sin and then get saved. No, I... Yeah, and, and I that's agree. the hard part there is because your 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 average Calvinist will tell you, and and just let's just be clear, I'm I'm not a Calvinist. Uh, the news is out. Um, <laughs> I think we I, announced that at the beginning of the show. Yeah, but. I'm not, but I, I genuinely have a great affinity and love towards friends of mine who are Calvinists, sure. and and I, I want to represent them really well, and I, I hope that I'm doing that in this. But but I know that f- many Calvinist teachings I've heard uh, will say that if we were in the garden, we'd make the same choice. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, then, is it really free? Was it ever really free? You know, you got to ask that question. Uh, I love C.S. Lewis's uh, science fiction trilogy because he's actually I re- presenting. I reference you. this a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's presenting an out a, of the silent a, planet. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the second novel, uh, yeah. Paralandra, he, yes. he's referencing a, a place that hadn't fallen, and at the end of the day, they don't fall. A- and was that not a real possibility for us as well? Was so? Was the purpose of creation just to create? people who would fall into sin so that God could look like an artist and save them later? Or was the purpose of creation to have people that would represent him on the earth where there already was darkness and push back those powers of darkness and, and begin to uh, um, uh, subdue the, the world that was in chaos? Yeah. Uh, and I, I would argue for the, the latter, not, yeah. not to create I'm a great the, I artist. I think this is where well, the, the but, sovereignty of God comes into play. Well, I think in both cases, he's a great artist. Yeah, put it yeah that right. absolutely. I think it's where the sovereignty of God um, aspect, that feels like such a <laughs> not even sure. adequate term aspect, but the sovereignty of God comes into play because um, he, in the beginning, you know, what is his main goal? And I really, I, I subscribe that his main goal is glory, um, not in a selfish way, but, you know, like, you know, love is not self-seeking. You know, love is not about all, all about themselves. And so he, he, he felt or feels that giving himself glory means um, I'm going to show how loving, how merciful, how, just every, all of his it's attributes, an expression every of his love. aspect of who he is has to be revealed. And so his plan was in place, not that he forced us to do anything, Um to say, you know, well, if we were in the garden, we would have done the same thing. But we weren't, and we never will be, and it's not going to happen because that wasn't God's plan. <laughs> That's not how God designed everything. He knew from the very beginning when he put Adam and Eve in the garden what was going to go down. That was his plan. That was his design. Yes, they had free will. Yes, they made the choices they made. Um, but it that's just – you know, pie in the sky kind of stuff. If, you know, if the reality is, is where we are is where we are. And this is God's plan. And his love is going to overtake and win in the end. And I think that's ultimate. So we almost have like three different positions here yeah. to love and be loved by God, to love God and be I'll, loved by I'll God. That's a, why I think we are, we exist. So, so one of the, the Piper things is, is, you know, it's all about the glory of God. Yeah. The glory, you know, chief end of man. is Yeah. Chief. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think about when I, I have a son, he's 18 months old. Um, when my wife and I decided to have our son, we were actively trying to create a child Mm -hmm. to procreate. Uh, and I I don't know why other than we wanted something to love Yeah. at the end of the day. And man, it's fun. And you find that suddenly you have a capacity to love that you never had previously. Um, you know, the love for my son is different than the love for my wife. I love her. Yeah, but but, but the, he is you. Yeah, there's just <laughs> there is a a there yeah. is a very different expression of love, and and the capacity in myself to love has changed suddenly. Mm-hmm. And now now we're we're you know three four weeks out from having a baby girl, and it's not like I think my love is suddenly going to be depleted because I have her. It's just in my in my nature, which I would say is in yeah. his nature, to to be expanded. A, Expanded yeah. to create more objects of my affection, yeah. things to love. You know, and, and to encourage you in that, because I was in that same predicament. Josh was once. It's different. It's you don't have more love. You have a new love. 
It's a yes. different love. Yeah. It's a whole, I love my Elijah and my Sovereign and my Benji completely different. And at the same time, to yeah. add on to that is when I when I had my, all three of my kids, I experienced God's love as a father in a new in a new and fresh way. Yeah. And so there's a. It's not just you know we're gonna love and, and find new love in ourselves, but we get to encounter God's love in a way. Just like when we get married, there's like an aspect of God's love that becomes very real and tangible. When you look into your child's face for the first time, that love, wow, this is how the father really sees me and views me. And so, yeah, I know we're kind of getting off topic no, here, I wanna, but I yeah, want to circle back around it, yeah. to, so you had I'm you getting made excited about love right like now, sorry. A, a Calvinistic perspective is that God created the world for uh, a man and a woman in the garden um, for the purpose of their fall, for the purpose of their redemption. Um, and that, that that is not necessarily a fair presentation uh, or or you, you made the state you made the statement that if we were in the same situation, uh, would we have done? The okay, same so I would say that the Calvinists would say that that situation was supposed to go down that way. Okay, that that's the way it was supposed to happen, and and the lesson of that that whole passage is that it would ha- we would we would make the same choice. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I don't think that that's necessarily what that's about. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but but uh, you know my leaning would be that that had more to do with this is what happened. Yeah, and. Uh, this is why the world is in the way it, the world is the way it is. Is mm-hmm. you had this this cosmic, you know, mess up, where where and, and here's the other thing that that we we tend to uh, underplay is the fact that Adam and Eve, well specifically Eve, was deceived. Yeah. Um, the word serpent there is a Hebrew word. You know the the I feel like I'm it's a Hebrew serpent. word. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't pretend to know Hebrew, but I did read a book one time and it taught me something that I thought was pretty cool. Um, but the, the word me. for serpent, uh, is, you know, in, in Hebrew, there's no vowels. And so one word could represent several words. Well, right. in this yeah. case, the word serpent is, uh, could be translated two different nouns, uh, and one verb. The, one of the nouns is serpent. Uh, one of the other nouns is the name of a city that, that where you would mine precious metals, like shiny metals, like copper and silver. And then the verb was um, to give a divine oracle. So what you have is a bright, shiny one who was coming with a message from God, a divine yeah. oracle. He, he was supposed to be one of the highest beings in the world, uh, or sought to be, but yeah. ends, up, ends up on the ground, the lowest, a serpent. So when you see Eve being deceived, she thought she was getting a message from God. Mm-hmm. So if it was supposed to go down that way, it's because she was deceived, not because she already had a f- terrible nature. Right. right. Um, and, and I think this is probably why there's a difference, why there's salvation that's made oh, yeah. possible for humankind and not the well, demonic realm. How could she have a terrible nature if sin had not entered the world? Yeah, exactly. Well, it wasn't, yeah, and again, so there, we're getting into all, all I know. Over, all no. This shouldn't just be a one-hour t- one yeah. thing. Yeah. You just can't do that in one so, hour. So, so even Eve was deceived. Adam violated and that's why sin entered the world through one man's disobedience is because adam was given the words of god adam don't eat then eve was created from his side and then somewhere in between there is a passing on of words from adam to eve eve don't eat the food actually don't even touch it because the day if you touch it you'll surely die so when when the serpent (laughs) comes to eve in the garden and he says um uh you know can't you eat of any of the trees you know she goes we can't eat of that tree neither shall we touch it for the day we touch it we will surely die so somewhere in between god's do not eat was added do not touch so i do believe absolutely eve was deceived but i believe adam Intentionally, well what he was fragrantly doing. violated. He kind of chose the chick I, over God. I believe. I believe the <laughs> the premise of faith has always been trust God, or don't trust God. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. I would be interested to know if it says mankind deceived versus sure. just the woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't doubt that she was deceived. I think we're no, on the same no. We, we whether Adam agree was. With that, yeah. And I, I always I, this maybe I'm I'm wrong in this, but this was always sort of my answer for why there's salvation made available for mankind and not fallen angels mm-hmm. um, because mankind was deceived. Uh, but I had always assumed it was both. And I don't know. I'm open to now, I would, I would say that position. I would. Yeah, I would definitely say. That is that is a completely different conversation on angelology, which we'll ask Michael Heiser when he comes in in November. You got Heiser nice coming. Point. I got Heiser coming in November. Nice I so. I you know got to spend a few hours with Heiser in Seattle. I went to Be- Bellingham, Washington, Come just on, to yeah. meet with him. He's yeah. coming in town this this week. 
Oh, yeah, he's doing that conference. Yeah? So you've got him coming in here. No, no. I'm having him in here in November. Oh, okay. Um, I, I will not have him. I Are you going to, to that conference? Co- I wanted to, but I'm at 818 with Will Ford. Oh. So I'll be interviewing Dutch Sheets and Lou Engel and those so we have guys. A, we have a question. I have a baby coming, so I literally can't commit to anything. <laughs> yeah, go so ahead. Melissa, go Melissa Willingham says, please tell me what you think Paul actually meant by predestination. And she put context and boundaries. As opposed to what I've heard Calvinists teach. So I'm assuming... What is an Armenian perspective or your perspective of predestination. on predestination? Oh, um, so those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. Uh, you've got a couple different passages on this. You've got Romans 8 and then uh, Ephesians 2, I believe. I got that right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the approach to this is, is whether these passages are talking about being saved from our sin or, a, or the national calling of Israel. Um, so in, in the Romans 8 passage specifically, uh, if you read just before 828 and 29, he's talking about the nation of Israel, the, the choices they've made to rebel against God and um, how, you know, God, this, this group of people that he knew beforehand, that he, that he uh, foreknew or many people would say loved beforehand, um, this group of people he had predetermined, and, and, and the question is, uh, what did he predetermine them for? To be saved from their sin or to be uh, a, have a specific calling or election, a, a choosing uh, to fulfill a certain calling? Um, and that's, that's where the, the, the Arminian would stand. It'd be like this. It's, it's like signing up. Greg Boyd has a great analogy for this. Um, he says, um, so, so let's say you're signing up for a conference. I'm actually going to have a conference there in February. Go. So I don't know what the name of it's going to be. It's going to be a Vineyard Tribute. So you may want to come to this conference. Um, that was my shameless plug right there. Dude, you call as many put, as you want. Call it uh, putting, the, putting the band back together. Yeah, putting the band. That would be great. That's a good. <laughs> I like that. Um, the boys are back. So the the, the the analogy is like this. Uh, I've that for those whom I foreknew. This is the group that that uh, I love. This is going to be my. These are the people signing up to come to this conference. Now, am I choosing who comes to the conference? No, people are just at will making their own decisions on whether or not they'll come but i've already predestined that this group who does come is going to get a special michael miller jesus koozie there you go so you should give out special hats. anointing oil that came yeah out oh, actually maybe hats would be yeah. better yeah. uh no, so hats. newsy hats now this <laughs> that group, really should be a giveaway for yeah. Like, yeah we're actually helping you plan the conference if, if, goal. Awesome. if the conference was more if God i was like one of the speakers at the conference all. and it was more about me i might do that um Sorry. But my, my point is this, it, it's, it's what is God giving these people? Uh, is, he, is he giving them, is it about them being forgiven of their sins, or is it about their calling? Hmm. Now, if you believe this is a group calling, this is about the nation of Israel, this group that he loved beforehand, that he has predestined, that, that they be uh, this chosen people, which will, will birth the Messiah, that, which will birth salvation for all of mankind, um, then that changes drastically your, your interpretation of that passage. I don't know if I'm doing a great job. No, he's actually really good. good. So um, in, in regard to the Ephesians chapter, I don't believe he's writing to Jews. I th- definitely think Romans 8 is. Yes. Uh, but I think in context uh, of uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, uh, and it's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that any man may boast. And this is verse 10. This is the one that I think is the best. For we uh, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. So what did he prepare beforehand? Was it our salvation or was, was it our it good, good works? works? And I think that, that when you get saved, you can have assurance that God has placed you on the earth to destroy the works of the yeah. devil. Yeah. I think that Christ, you have can have assurance that Christ has put you on the work on the earth for a display of power and glory yeah. through the preaching of the gospel, through signs, wonders, and miracles, et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to the predestination aspect, it's always that there's a role for you to play. Mm-hmm. That's why it brings up Pharaoh in Romans chapter 8, because Pharaoh had a role to play. He That's was right. going to harden Pharaoh's heart. When you look at the Genesis scriptures, I'm, he says that... Um, you know, there's a there's a he he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He hardened Pharaoh's heart, and there's a point where it shifts, and it's Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's right. Yeah. So you know, both of them are doing their thing, and that's the reality. Is is you know, I, I go back to Hebrews where he says, you know, do not harden your heart as you did in the day of rebellion. And the core is rebellion. And yeah. so it's it's when when the Lord speaks, we have a response, and we can either choose to say, you know what, I'm going to receive that, or you know what, I'm going to dig my heels in and I'm going to harden my heart. Amen. And so, and you saw, you see that with Pharaoh. There's a couple times where he's like, "Yeah, yeah, let him go." 
No, wait, never mind. Bring him back. Get him. Go get him. Chase him down. Chase him down. And so this is, he's going back and forth, you know. So. This is a legitimate question, too, for those of you who are watching, that, that God did sovereignly give Israel the opportunity to have faith in Christ Jesus, right? So you have this 5,000-esque year period where the Arminian does have a hard time trying to figure out an answer here. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? An honest Armenian, an honest whatever I am, would say, yeah, he did it. Yep, that happened. Uh, did he soften other people's hearts sovereignly? Yeah, absolutely, that happened. I, I can't, I think that there is, there's something there's something dangerous about um, using Michael's words here, My, myopically looking at this one specific topic, getting it as close as possible and trying to psychoanalyze this three-verse thing, getting the Hebrew and the Greek, and not just look at the vast Bigger interpretation picture. of yeah. Scripture and doing a bird's eye view to say, well, well there were um, – th- this is uh, – this is not my coffee. This is <laughs> – your hands uh, off my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> this is – You want some kombucha? How I believe that I think this is William Lane Craig's presentation of what is modalism, right? Um, how there are these overarching events that will take place in history and that must take place in history. The best way I can describe it is through a multiple choice book, right? So you have a, a book, um, A, B, C, and D. You open that book. You pick A. You flip to section A. You read section A. You, you have A, B, C, and D again. You flip to section C because that's what you chose, so forth and so on. It's this process of making decisions within that book. And that allows man to make free will and decisions, and it still makes God the author and the finisher. So no matter what happens in chapter 14, this event will take place. But your decisions in between chapters 1 and 18 are irrelevant. Those are You will be judged according to those decisions. But mm-hmm. at 18, Christ will be sacrificed. So there are these overarching things that will happen and God will sovereignly spur on uh, uh, Pontius Pilate's wife to have this vision so that she tells him that he says, okay, I'm washing my hands so that the people with a prophetic declaration will cry out, well, his blood will be on us and our children. And God says, got him. Like there are these events that God, you can't, you cannot tell me that God did Yeah, the return not, of Christ is yeah. sovereignly predetermined beforehand. Like there's, no, guy, there's nothing that's going to change it. He's going to do it no matter what. There is a guy who stands up that, that Jesus takes his place, and his name is Bar-Abbas. Bar, son of Abba. How could that be more clear? Yeah. Like, like how could that possibly be more clear? Like, uh, 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 Peter Barjona, right? Bar, right? That's Bar means son of. No, I'm Abba just, my means, mind's just blown right now. Abba Sorry. means father. So, so the <laughs> son of God became the propitiation for the sons of God. I mean, that... You cannot write this stuff like this. This is ridiculous how God sovereignly worked these things together. I do believe there are events. There are parabolic prophets. There are people on the earth that God sovereignly invests his life into making sure world events take place on his time clock. Yeah, but and his, the, the thing that gets me is when you talk about what God is sovereignly choosing to do, it, most of the time when he's making a sovereign decision, it has to do with a calling. To mm-hmm. do something like That's choosing right. a prophet, sure. his choosing of that prophet didn't guarantee that prophet was going to be a believer. Mm-hmm. It it sovereignly right. like Cyrus. It, the yeah. choice was yeah. he would be a mouthpiece, mm-hmm. not necessarily a believer. And, and that's where I think we get a little bit muddled. Uh, and one of the passages we're also leaving out is, is Ephesians one. Okay, uh, that's probably a big one to cover. He said, um, eighteen and nineteen. No, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, Just as he chose us in him go. before the foundation of the world, that we would be a holy and blameless before God in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus wow. Christ himself, according to the kind of intention yeah, of his I will. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's using <laughs> the word predestined, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, again, I, this is a question. Is he talking about a person's... Um, whether that person is going to believe or not, or is he talking about what that what the person who believes is going to get? Right. So in in this case, again, you have to look at it. Is it about an individual or about a group of people? And if it's about an individual and whether they believe, or whether it's about a group of people and what they a group of people who happen to believe and what they get. So so that that same uh, analogy of well, here's what I've determined beforehand before. Right. Before any of you have made any choices, I, I've determined there's this group called the, the church, and um, this group who, who becomes part of the church, they're going to become my sons. I'm going to adopt them as my children. Yeah. And not only that, they're going to look like Jesus. Yeah. So I've, I've determined beforehand that whoever this group is, here's what they're going to He's get. He's predestined that's the, to sanctify us. That's the Arminian not to position. not justify us. The Arminian position is this is what they're going to get. 
versus the the Calvinist position is this is who's going to believe the people who God determines. So yeah. you, and there's a, there's definitely yeah there's there's so much there. Um, yeah, I know. No, we got 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> the devil 15 is alive. minutes. So Good night. Okay, so we we have talked about we've gone through two of the points, and that's it. Predestination. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about limited atonement. Um, I think this is the biggest difficulty for both Calvinists and Armenians because there is so many proof texts that would suggest that Christ died for the world, right? So and not that, yeah, that for many all, right? For all, yeah, yeah. So we emphasize those all and many and, and those kinds of things. So and there's a lot of good verbiage when you when you hear both camps talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It's sufficient for all, but given to few, or you know, like that kind of. We have thing. these cute little Christianese phrases. Many are called, yeah, but yeah. few are chosen. Which, by the way, I cannot stand when people use that verse for limited atonement many are called because few are chosen if you go read the text those who are called are better than those who are chosen um i don't know if you've the the marriage feast right that's where this verse comes from he goes out into the marriage feast those who were chosen were people who rejected the invitation those who oh. were called were the ones who actually came. Yeah, this is Israel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is yeah. literally. It, Israel, we're we back chose to, them. We're back to that time again. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the great <laughs> thing about this passage because he's, he's showing, look, I, I chose this group of people. And they rejected. But guess what? They're not getting salvation. Mm-hmm. So those whom he chose didn't get salvation. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. But I thought choosing meant yeah. they had salvation. Like he chose who to give salvation to. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's irony playing out. This is why I'm not a Calvinist. <laughs> Um, clearly, I'm I'm making this a very slanted thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, it's okay. it's okay. Um, we're, we're here to present those positions um, as fairly as we can, and we'll have a Calvinist to come on. I've been begging my buddy Jay to come on the show. Come on, Jay, he is, he is so reformed. Uh, I think we'll be we'll be, be gentle. <laughs> I think he'd be fun to have. Um, but but so so when when we're when we're talking about this, w- would you? Uh, I can't ask that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you had, you had said stuff beforehand, and I was like, mm, "No, I'm not gonna. I don't want to. I don't want to. Too much. I don't want to entrap anybody here." So, so when we're when we're when we're talking about, um, so we talk about limited limited atonement. Let's 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 stay there. Okay. Let's let's camp there because we again we got like ten minutes left in the show. So, uh, limited atonement. The idea of limited atonement is that Christ shed His blood only for a select few, according to the, the Calvinist position. Uh, if the Calvinists would say, if he shed his blood for everyone, then we're universalists, right? This is, again, their argument. They would say, let's say Jeff is an unbeliever, and God shed his blood for wah, Jeff, wah. and Jeff goes to hell. Is Je- is God unjust? Because he already paid the wage for him to double dip in the cup of wrath, to say, I've paid the wage, and double Jeff dip. is going to hell, would make God unjust. So his his blood must only justify those he selects. Um, that's the Calvinist argument to say that if God paid your penalty and then sends you to hell, he's unjust. So either we're a universalist or we believe in limited atonement. Enter Michael Miller. Uh, boom. I think I, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I don't even know where Honest to start on that answer. one. Well, I think the thing is, it's like, uh, that seems rather drastic, but okay. I, I just don't have as much of a issue with that one as the others, probably because See, I don't believe it. That's the biggest one for me. I yeah, just sort of gloss over it. Yeah. And, well, I mean, and I was talking to a friend earlier today, uh, another pastor named Jordan Sutton. You should, he's, he understands this stuff way better than I do. Um, but he would say that's his biggest issue. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it, but to him, he, he makes more of a philosophical argument um, rather than yeah. a, a well, scriptural one. I think the, the easy answer, I mean... I, if it's easy, is I just look at the Passover. I just look at the original when they're coming out of Egypt and the blood is shed mm-hmm. and it's put over the door and they're they're told to do it. And if you don't do it, death's going to come a knocking. And so right then and there, it's like well, you have if Jesus is the same lamb. This is the Calvinist argument. OK, I know you don't like. No, you don't go for it. You're helping them because there are people who go. Yeah, no, they, they actually use that as. Yeah. yeah no, but what I'm saying, Calvinist. Yeah, argument. but what I'm saying is that. Is, is in that sense of there were people that didn't that chose not to. Well, I mean, there were people that chose. I'm sure. Did everybody do it? Did some no, choose not to? Here would be the question. And so would would be that there, were there some Israelites who painted blood on their door and were inside going, I don't think this is going to work. Probably. What if what if people are like, what is this deal? Like, why are we doing no, this? Is there and, the question is were there some Israelites that said that's stupid, that's not going to work, and didn't do it. We well, no, know. It's, that's a distinct <laughs> possibility. But the question is, is that 
Israel put blood on their doorpost, and there were children who couldn't believe. There were men and women. The belief in the blood was not a prerequisite to its effectual power. Okay. Right? Let's say a mama was in there, and she had seen yeah. some miracles, and dad was like, this is so stupid. Therefore, Why are we doing it? So, it's not about you making a choice to believe. It's about it's, God himself. It's not his effectual blood being saved. applied. That's actually the argument of the Calvinists is to say that the blood was applied to you. Too bad. You're going to make it. Whether whether your faith is great or your faith is little, which is one of the reasons but primarily this is, this faith is has the Lazarus exist, thing all though. over again. We're it is taking, we're taking analogy and using this as a, a right, typology okay. for yeah. uh, salvation eternally, which I just don't know if you can do. No, I agree. I, I think that the, the the primary argument for for us for the the um, the non-Calvinist because I, I can't call myself an Armenian because I'm yeah, not. Yeah, that's I can't um, either. It's it's just a dangerous slippery well, slope. What I kind of notice is that people who are Armenian don't call themselves that. Only Calvinists call us that. Because, a, well, and and we, we, we all say, I'm just that. not a Calvinist. I don't mind saying that, but I have a really hard time owning yeah. what I, I am. Know, people yeah. will say that you're... You so know. so what, I, what I do know about uh, the typical atonement theory um, is I do love penal substitutionary atonement. Big fan of that. Um, but then I'll also, I'll also say <laughs> that... You just like saying it. Yeah, I, it. You actually go watch our show today. <laughs> uh, we had a show at noon where we covered atonement theory. So uh, go watch that. It was fun. Um, so when we talk ab- about the atonement from the perspective, uh, from our perspective, I would encourage you to go to Romans chapter 5. For those of you who are watching online, Romans chapter 5 is really, I think, the place that you camp out because it, it makes faith the appropriation of the atonement. It says that all men have been justified in Christ's blood. All men on the planet, head to toe, everybody, everyone has been justified. The, the debt has been paid for all. Absolutely all. I, I I don't know any Calvinist who goes to Romans. They chapter say sufficient five. for all. Is what yeah. they say. And it, but 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 the argument. So in other words, it's enough for all for all to be saved. Yeah. But God didn't. It's 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 enough. But again, in the, in the text, is faith is what applies it, not Christ. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I would. And he's my and the, the faith is a gift according to the Calvinists. There, sure. God is the one distributing that faith as He wills. Yeah, and then and then we just come to a a presuppositionalism of where faith comes from and how faith gets in the life of a believer. Then, then you have to dive into Romans nine, for Jacob I loved, and Esau, Esau I hated, and we don't have time to get into that. Nope, bro. <laughs> Part two. I'm sure, absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, bring your bring your buddy on. I, I no, this is fun. I, I I was surprised at how much fun I actually had doing yeah. this. I was, uh, you know, a little nervous to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> no, man. It's, we, we keep it light, we even do. though it's pretty. We take the gospel deep. seriously, but we don't take ourselves very seriously. That's kind of our yes. point. I could tell by phrase. that shirt you're wearing. Yeah, yeah we're gonna have to <laughs> John Calvin and Jacob Arminius fight night. Um, so tell again those of who are watching online, tell us a little bit about your ministry, your church, uh, books you've written, conferences you're about to have, how people should follow you, etc., etc., etc. Well, I have a website that's called thomasministries.org. I've done literally no updating of that. So if my wife is watching this, babe, please help me. Um, I need to do that. I know that um, a lot of the stuff I do mostly is, is on uh, gifts of the Spirit. So if you, um, that, that really is my shtick. I, I love to talk and demonstrate. Well, you come back on and talk about that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, but that really is my favorite thing. I think. Um, Let's do some street ministry. And yeah. we'll, we'll take a camera down there. And we'll oh, talk yeah. to people on the street, and we'll, we'll Todd White it up or something. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. We get Todd White to join us. Yeah, there little, you go. Uh, you can show us how it's done. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, to, to your question, uh, how can they get a hold of me? Um, I don't know, Facebook, Instagram, I'm on all there. On Instagram, I'm Hats Miller. That's my, my name there. Um, and then other than that, Upper Room Frisco, that's the easiest way to, to find me on your there. services? Uh, we meet Sundays at 5 p.m. Okay. So right now we're meeting inside of another church's facility. It's called C3. Uh, um, corners. This is how bad I am. Like, this is why my wife does all the admin. Yeah. I literally can't That's remember That's why the gift of the like spirit, this. man. <laughs> like, I'm really good at the prepping of the sermon. Yeah. But then, like, when I try to invite somebody to come to church, oh, yeah, we meet somewhere on Main Street in Frisco. Yeah. Come there, 5 p.m. Uh, so there's that. And then, um, obviously, we have Upper Room Dallas. I speak there on occasion. And then I do a good number of conferences on the gifts of the Spirit. I know that uh, I've just talked to Jordan Sutton, who has a church called um, Clear Path. And we're looking at doing a conference end of October on the gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge, healing, that kind of thing. So my, my approach is very much, you know, the conservative evangelical continuationist. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just 
too much baggage in that term. And, and Agreed. I, I tend to approach the gifts much I've more like an evangelical. Fire, so when I, when I think charismatic, yeah. I, I think a very specific breed of Christian. Yeah, yeah that's exactly how I am. It, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it pigeonholes me into a certain corner that I don't like being described. 10-4. Yeah. Roger that, good buddy. So that's it. How can you get a hold of me? There's that. Um, we'll, we'll, post some, we'll post some stuff in the, uh, the yeah. comment section yeah. here. Cool, man. Well, we got a minute left, 60 seconds. Thank you, everybody, for watching the Remnant Radio. Tune in every single week. We make two to three videos every week, so you can go on Facebook, like us, make sure to follow us, get the first in feed. And if you're on YouTube, subscribe to our channel for more videos just like this. If this is a blessing to you and you want to donate into the ministry, we're constantly trying to get out onto to satellite networks, radio stations. You can give at our website, theremnantradio.com. Uh, and stay tuned. Next this weekend, I say next weekend. This weekend, we're interviewing this Dutch Sheets, Lou Engel, Will Ford. We're going to be uh, uh, interviewing Matt Lockett. We're going to be interviewing Joseph Garlington, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Be blessed. Love you. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.